0: Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Awesome. Well, this is week five of This Is War. And tonight we're going back to that same anchor verse, and it's just getting longer and longer, right? But we're going to dive into so much scripture tonight. So much scripture. So please make sure you're taking notes. Go back and read a lot of this. Some of it, you're probably going to be like, I didn't even know that was there. Some of what we're going to talk about this week, the Lord showed me for the very first time this year. So I'm super pumped about it. Ephesians 6 is where we're starting again tonight in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. You know what? It's so interesting to me too that scripture is so clear about not just having it hanging in your closet, right? God's provided it, but God ain't putting it on you. You put it on. Put on the full armor of God. That'll be a sermon in itself. Woo! So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes because the devil does has, have schemes, right? You know that, you've seen it. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore, again, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after it, you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith that we talked about last week, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In verse 17, which is our subject tonight, take the helmet of salvation everybody say helmet helmet of salvation and i think we understand what a helmet does right we understand that a helmet protects our minds but what we might not understand is that not only is it a symbol of the protection of our minds it's a symbol of the protection and covering of our entire thought life which is a huge deal. Proverbs 4, I've taught this to you before, but I'm going to teach it to you till the day I die because it's so imperative. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else for everything you do flows from it. Some of the stuff you do, no, no, no. Everything you do flows from your heart. So you're to guard it. Yeah, but actually, you're talking about helmets going your head, not your heart. Well, we've taught this before. When scripture talks about your heart, it's not talking about your aortic pump. anybody know that? It's not talking about your physical heart. It's talking about your heart that controls your thought life, your will, and your emotions. Scripture never commands you to control your emotions. There's not one place in Scripture that I've ever found that says, control your emotions, even when it's that time of the month. (laughs) Like hesitations or something. No. But scripture is clear that you are to control your thoughts. Take captive your thoughts. And guess what? Guess what controls your emotions? Your thoughts. So when scripture talks about your heart, it's talking about your thought life what you dwell on, not those fleeting thoughts, what you allow to take residence in your mind, what you allow to rehearse over and over and over, what you allow to sit and stay in your thinking. And this is not a new concept to you. I'll prove it to you. If you have subconsciously or consciously rehearsed something over and over and over, whether it's a script for a play or maybe it's a song that you hear on the radio, so much so that you've thought about it and thought about it and thought about it that when you hear it, it flows out of your mouth from memory. You say you know it by heart. See? Not a new concept. So when Scripture talks about serving the Lord with all of your heart... It's talking about making sure that your thought life is in line with his so that your will, your emotions, and your actions will also be lined up with his. And everything you do flows from it. Every part of your life flows from your thinking. So it's a massive, massive deal. How many of you will be honest with me right now and say that texting is one of the highest forms of communication that you operate in right now. Yeah, I, let me admit this to you. My husband and I will be in the same house in different rooms and text each other. Anybody else? Come on, I'm not alone in that. Yes, texting. If you want to get in touch with me, the very fastest way is to text me because I can't always answer the phone, because I got littles around me, or I'm in a meeting, or in the middle of something. Texting is going to be the fastest way to get back to me, and if you've seen my phone, the amount of unread emails will encourage you not to email me. (laughs) Text me, right? I was talking with a precious friend here this week, and she was talking about this phenomenon of texting and how it's changing communication. And she was sharing that there was (laughs) this wonderful, wonderful man at her church that was on staff at her church. And he was so hip and definitely getting with the texting vibe, you know. He's got the gifts. Is it gifts or gifs? I never know that. He's got, he's got the memes down, you know. Anybody got your memes that, you, that are like your go-to, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and so he, he was getting with all the lingo and everybody on the staff was so proud of him until one day a few members of the staff had been notified via text by a family of a tragedy that they had lost a father, And so he was on this group text, and they had shared, we we lost dad last night. We would really appreciate your prayers. And he, in love and in caring, wrote, oh, no, exclamation point, LOL. And my friend picks up the phone and said, what are you doing? Why would you text that to everyone? And he said, "Well." Well, of course, I'm always going to send them lots of love. No, that is not what that means. Ah, not lots of love, right? And in that moment, we realize that the way we think about things matters, the definitions that we give things matter. They're a huge deal. Tonight, we're going to unpack the battle, the very famous battle of David and Goliath. And tonight, we're going to look at aspects of this battle that you may or may not have seen taught before, kind of uncommon aspects of this battle, is what I want to look at tonight. Because I want to unpack to you... Some differentiation in the way I believe David was thinking. Some different ways that he was thinking about what he was facing and why it made such a huge impact. Different ways that you and I need to adopt in our own lives to truly start being successful in the battles that you and I face. And the very first one tonight that I wanna unpack with you. The first instruction that I believe David ascribed to that I want us to practice tonight. Number one is keep your mind on who God is. Keep your mind on who God is. That passage that we just read, Ephesians 6, Verse 17 said, take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. This term salvation, if you have your Bibles, underline it. That term is also used in a scripture that I actually receive the most questions about. And I want to unpack this scripture tonight to you, because I think it will help us with this idea of keeping our mind on who God is. The passage that I have overwhelmingly, through the years, gotten the most questions about is Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, maybe you've had these same questions, but the questions that I get are something like, whoa, 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 wait. I'm supposed to continue to work out my salvation? Like, didn't Jesus take care of that on the cross? I don't don't understand. Pastor Ashley, why am I working that out? I'm continuing to work that out. And then with fear and trembling, I thought, I thought scripture says that God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us power and love and a sound mind. Well, I want to unpack that with you because that same word salvation that's used with helmet of salvation is the same term that's used here. And it has nothing to do with your eternal security. This term salvation doesn't mean whether you're going to heaven or hell, whether you've accepted Jesus as your savior and are spending eternity with him. This passage has everything to do with your deliverance here on earth. So maybe if you have your Bibles, you want to circle that word salvation and write above it, deliverance. Because what this passage is talking about in Philippians, and also with the helmet of salvation, is talking about our deliverance of the things that still hold us. How many of you know that when you say yes to Jesus... Your life doesn't become perfect. You still got struggles, right? And if you don't, I do, so we can talk about me. God is still working out this deal. But I love, I love, love, love the way this passage unpacks it. Continue. That encourages me. Because that means it's a process. I don't wake up one day and I've suddenly arrived. In fact, we're going to launch Growth Track in a few in a few weeks, which is part of our next steps here at Church for All Nations. And one of the steps was named Find Freedom. But my husband and I in prayer renamed it to Grow in Freedom. Because it's not something that you arrive at here on earth. It's something that you're continually working toward as God works that out in your life. So continue to work out your salvation. When I looked at the way that the original language lines that up, what that passage really is trying to communicate to us is that God will continually work out our deliverance as we do what? Look at that last part of that passage. With fear and trembling? With fear and trembling. What the heck is the Lord talking about there? He wants us to be afraid of him? That passage, that phrase in that passage, actually literally means with awe-filled Reverence. The summer after my junior year of college, I channeled my inner hippie and I went with a bunch of my friends backpacking all across the entire West. The four corners, we did Canyon de Chez, we did Mesa Verde, we did uh, Painted Rock, we, uh, everything, Painted Desert, We did, you name it, we did it. And it culminated... And at the same time, we were counselors on the Navajo Reservation, which was really awesome. And it culminated in a trip to the Grand Canyon. And everyone that I was backpacking with had been there except for me. And so they made it particularly special. We rented a Jeep that day, and they drove up to the South Rim. And they had me blindfolded the whole time. And they held my hand as I got out of the Jeep, and they sat me down on the edge of that rim, and they walked away. And I untied the bandana that was wrapped over my eyes. And in that moment, I saw the majesty that is the Grand Canyon. And I can't explain it unless you've seen it in person, because pictures do not do it justice. But in that moment, my body started to shake and tears flowed down my face and I couldn't look away because it's just so beautiful. Was I scared of the Grand Canyon? No. I was filled with awe and reverence at the beauty and the majesty of the Grand Canyon. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. That if we will put our eyes on who God is, if we will set our eyes on him, then he will start working out your deliverance. Oh, Pastor Ashley, I I feel like that might be a little bit of a stretch. I have proof for you. Look at the last part of that passage. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling... For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He does it. You just put your eyes on him. You just continue to be filled with awe and reverence at who he is. And watch how he starts to continually transform your mind. That's what Romans is talking about. Look at Romans 12. Verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be continually transformed is that term. Write that in your Bibles. If you have your Bible there, continually transformed by the constant renewing of your mind. It's not just waking up one day and it's different. It's you waking up every day and it's different. The more you keep your eyes on him. David's difference in thinking about this particular battle started far before the battle took place. And I encourage you to go and read these chapters tonight. They are fascinating and the nuggets that are in there are incredible. But if you look in 1 Samuel 15, we see that King Saul has gone into a battle, and in that battle, he was not fully obedient to the Lord. He was only partially obedient. And because he was only partially obedient to the, to the Lord, and what the Lord had instructed him to do, God said, you're not the dude anymore. You don't get to be king. I, I need a man who's after my heart. A man who's after the way that I think about things. A man who is after the way I want my emotions to, the way I feel about you. I need a man that's after my heart, is what the Lord said. And so in the next chapter, 16, the Lord sends Samuel the prophet. And he tells Samuel, Go to the house of Jesse, and you're going to anoint my next king for Israel there. And if you read that passage, it reads so funny because even Samuel himself goes in and he sees this whole line of handsome men. And Samuel goes in and he goes up and says, Lord, this must be the guy. And the Lord's like, nope, keep going. And so he walks down to the next son of Jesse and he says, this Lord? And he said, nope, not him. And the next son and the Lord says, "Uh -uh, not try again until he goes through all of the sons and that's where we pick up in 1st Samuel 16 Samuel asked Jesse are these all the sons you have Jesse answers there it is still the youngest but uh, he's he's tending sheep we like to keep him back there right in that moment understand that his own father had discounted him for what God had called him to. Maybe some of you here in this place know what that feels like. For your own family to discount you from what God himself has called you into. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I love that. That's so adamant. I ain't going nowhere. I'm not even sitting down until you get him here. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil And anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. But what you need to understand, and you can read through that passage tonight, is that David was anointed king, but he didn't get to move into the palace that night. He was anointed king and then sent directly back out to the field to do exactly what he'd been doing that entire time before. And some of you are here tonight and you feel exactly that way. God has spoken to you about what he's called you to do. And then he said, now it's time to go back to the field. And that feels confusing And I understand that, but you need to understand that there are specific areas of training that have to take place in the field with the acknowledgement of what God has called you to. And here's what I want you to see. If you read 1 Samuel when you go home tonight, Scripture says that in that moment, the Spirit of God left King Saul and that he was tormented. I can't fathom what that feels like to not have the Spirit of God. King Saul is so tormented that his attendants look at him and say, if you can't have God's presence, you got to have somebody around you that's got the presence of God. And we've heard of a guy. The attendants in his courts tell him of a worshiper that they've heard of. Of a guy That is in a shepherd's field, worshiping God, just like he was already in the palace. And here's what I want you to see. King Saul sins for David because he was a worshiper. He worshiped with the harp. And King Saul was so desperate for the presence of God that he sends for David. And here's what I don't want you to miss. David was anointed king and sent back to the field. But the way he handled that assignment being back in the field is what opened the door for him to walk into his assignment. David worshiped in the field despite the fact that he'd been anointed king and wasn't seeing it happen yet. And that fact alone is exactly why doors started opening. In that moment, Saul called him into his courts and David had his very first encounter in being within the palace walls. Why? Because he was willing to worship. What are you doing in your field season? Those of you that God has anointed with specific callings and he hasn't allowed you to walk into the fullness of that calling yet. Maybe you're like David. Maybe if you read scripture, it's clear. David went back and forth from the field to the palace, worshiping in the field, worshiping in the palace. And maybe that's kind of how you feel right now. You're like, man, I'm kind of in between. I'm, not, I'm kind of not totally here. I'm not totally there. And God says, this is part of the training. How will you handle it? Will you keep your eyes on me? Because that changes everything in awe and reverence, allowing him to work out your deliverance. It matters how you keep your eyes on the Lord. Keeping your mind on who God is, the very second way that I know God is calling us to change our thinking is keep your mind on what God says about you. Keep your mind on what God says about you. You have to understand that the Philistines and the Israelites had gathered for battle. And one stood on one side of this valley and one stood on the other. And they stared at each other. And normally, this would be a hand-to-hand combat type battle. But the Philistines had a different decision. They decided to bring forth Goliath, who was terrifyingly scary. He was this enormous giant that was their best warrior in the entire land. And for 40 days, Goliath would come out and taunt the Israelites. Over and over and over. And here's what I want you to see. In this entire process, scriptures already call David a valiant warrior, but he's not on the battlefield. I'm guessing he wanted to be on the battlefield. I'm guessing he thought that should have been his place, but the Lord still had him with the sheep. And then it says that his father, Jesse, calls him and says, I need you to go check on the boys, take some food to them. And that's where we're picking up. First Samuel 17 verse 22, it says, David gets to the battle lines, sees what's going on. And this is how he reacts. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers, how are ya?" As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. But this time David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Note their reaction. Verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth. Notice this. Underline it if you have your Bibles. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Wait, 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 what? David, look at this. Look at his response. David asked the men standing near him. Whoa, wait, did I hear that right? What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They reply in verse 27, they repeated it to him. So now he's heard it twice. What they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Jump down to verse 30. I've never seen this before this year. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before three different times. He's like, well, wait, wait, what? what do you get if you, if you go and fight Goliath? What David said was overheard, meaning that he was asking about that over and over. It was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Why why are you asking about this? Why are you asking about the spoils of war? Why are you asking about this bounty? David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. This is what I wrote in my notes. I want you to hear this. What others saw as terrifying opposition, David saw as exciting opportunity. Why? Why? Because he knew that God had anointed him king. And he didn't know how God was going to do it until that moment. Until that moment, he understood that this battle wasn't against him. It was for him. It was for him to walk into everything God had said that was going to be his. In that moment, I think it's so funny because David's literally going, wait, wait. what do they get? They get get to marry. You mean they become king? They get to marry his daughter? And then when he's... Oh, this is how God's going to do it. But yeah, I'll fight him. God's already told me I'm king. Yeah, I'll fight him. Why? Because he was dwelling not on what his brothers were saying. Go read it tonight. His brothers are like, would you please shut up? Scripture says that. And he's like, what? I can't even talk now? Read it. It's hilarious. It's literally like my children bickering. It's, it's a riot. David understood. His calling. And he was dwelling on that, what God said about him, more than his position, more than his current situation, more than what everyone else around him was saying about him. And he knew that this battle was how God was going to do it. And so, heck yeah, he walked in there, not wearing Saul's armor. I don't need your armor, bro. I got this. Because the Lord's already shown me The Lord shown me. I'm the dude. I've already been anointed in front of my brothers. Hey. You know that was an awkward night in their home. I want you to hear this. Because I didn't understand this until what we walked through last year. There are more battles for you than against you. There are more battles that you face in your life that God wants to use to walk you into the territory that he's already told you is yours than battles that the enemy is just trying to rob you. It's so amazing. We see this over and over and over in scripture, particularly with David the things that god calls david to he requires him to actually go into battle and then the spoils of war it's everything god told him he'd have what if we started seeing our battles that way what if we got our minds off of what it feels like what if we got our minds off of what so and so said and instead dwell just on what God told you. And started looking at opposition, understanding that it might be exactly how God brings all of that into your camp. That changes everything. That changes whether I want to run away from a battle or head first into it because of what God said, not because of what I feel, not even because of what I see, but because of what he said. Spoils of war. That second part of Romans 12 verse two is exactly why it's so important that we're continually renewing our minds Making sure that we have the helmet of deliverance on all the time, constantly working. It says that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? Because then, and only then, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is. You can't possibly know which battle you're supposed to run into until you know. His heart, his mind, what he says about you, then you can prove what his will is his good and pleasing and perfect will, because that's what he's calling you to. We are called to make sure that we keep our minds on who God is, the awe and reverence, the majesty. Of how beautiful he is. And then, secondly, keeping our minds on what he says about you, what he says in his word, what he says through his Holy Spirit, exactly about you and your situation. And number three, keep your mind on what God has done. On what God has done. One of the most famous miracles in the Bible that Jesus performs, many of you know it, it's found in a couple of the different Gospels. But it's referenced as feeding the 5,000. And really scripture says that it was 5,000 men. So the estimations are more like 25,000 when you count the women and the children. But scripture says that Jesus took bread and loaves, just her fish and loaves. <laughs> Jesus took fish and loaves, what a little boy was willing to give to make sure that the multitudes ate. And at the end of Jesus multiplying it over and over and over, and after everybody was full, Scripture says that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets. 12 disciples. 12 baskets. And 12 disciples. And if you read it in Mark, directly after... That miracle took place. Scripture says that Jesus commanded the disciples to get into the boat. And he didn't go with them. And I want to pick up exactly in that place. Because there's something here that I've never seen until this last month that I want you to leave with tonight. Mark 6, starting in verse 47, Scripture says, Later that night, the boat... That the disciples were in was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land and he saw the disciples straining at the oars they were struggling they were battling right because the wind was against them a storm hit it's a different type of battle shortly before dawn he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass by them verse 49 but when they saw him walking on the lake they thought he was a ghost they had just been with Jesus why would they ever think he's a ghost Because sometimes when we're in the middle of the battle we're not controlling our thoughts we're not controlling our thinking It gets everywhere, all over, to the point where we can't even see Jesus in the middle of it when he's right in front of us. Scripture says they cried out because they saw him and they were terrified. What did they do when they were terrified? It's what you and I have to do every time we're terrified. They ask for his presence. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Look at this. Don't miss this. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Have you ever seen that? Why were they completely amazed by the fact that Jesus quieted the storm? They'd already forgotten about the loaves. They had already, and the loaves were in the boat, I'm guessing, 12 baskets of leftovers staring at them in the face in the middle of their struggle, and their faith was gone to the point where they didn't even see Jesus. They hadn't controlled their thinking. You see, you and I have baskets like that. We have baskets that we could fill with everything Jesus has done for us. Everything that he's done in our lives. The miracles that we've seen performed. The things that should have happened but didn't. The things that could have happened but didn't. The things that we wanted to happen but didn't. And thank God they didn't. We've got baskets upon baskets. And yet when we get in the middle of a battle, If we are not conscious of making certain that we think about exactly what he's done in the past, then we'll miss him in the middle of the struggle. They didn't understand. They didn't have proper thinking about the loaves right in front of them. Most of you know, What happens in the battle of David and Goliath? David ventures into that battlefield, five stones and a sling, to face this giant, and with one stone, takes him out. Scripture says that David then approaches Goliath, takes Goliath's sword and cuts Goliath's head off just to make sure the deal is done. Just to be certain. There's something I want you to see about what David does with that sword. Because you have to understand that God doesn't just want you to remember what he's done, he wants you to use what he's done. Look with me, First Samuel. Verse 21, I'm sorry, First Samuel chapter 21. It's really cool because if you read what happens before that, David's called into another battle. And upon arriving outside of the camp, he realizes that he doesn't have his normal sword. He doesn't have his armor with him. And if you look in Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, verse 8, David asked the priest, Don't you have a spear or a sword here somewhere? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was so urgent. Verse 9, the priest replied the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah, it's here. It's actually wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it, for there is no sword here but that one. And David replied, and there is none like it. Give it to me. And if you read that battle, David takes that sword and uses it for God's glory. And we never read about David using any other sword in the rest of Scripture. Why? Because what God has given you, the weapons and the tools that he has granted you from the victories that he's taking care of, that will always be your most dangerous weapon. There is none like it. And God is calling you to use it. And some of you have it wrapped in a cloth and it's hiding behind the bed. Because you're scared that people will start talking about that one time when you were in that battle. And you're thinking maybe they're going to remember some of the off parts. But no, no, no. God's calling you to use that spoil of war. As the weapon to take new territory, freedom for new people. There's a precious man that you'll see here on Sunday. His name is Alan, and his story is one that JF and I love to tell because it is so powerful. You see, Alan found himself an addict and homeless after being very successful. Married, awesome home, awesome job. And the enemy thought he had him. But Alan found the Lord at the Tacoma Rescue Mission. Radically saved. Started attending the church that we were pastoring then. And we watched the Lord win battles for Alan. Oh, it was beautiful. Beautiful. Till that one Sunday morning, he walked in with his little girl that he got to be with for the first time in years. And we saw her come to know the Lord. And you know what's so amazing about Alan and Riley? Is that they didn't wrap that sword and stick it under the bed. Almost every single month, you can hear amazing stories about Alan and Riley going to minister to the homeless, and Alan telling them about how he was in the exact place, the exact emotions, the exact circumstances that so many of them were in, and Riley explaining what it was like to see her daddy in that situation. And what Alan and Riley do is they win battles. They win battles with the sword, with the tools, with the weapons from the victory that God gave them. And they bring families into the rescue mission. They, they bring families food. They bring the resources. They teach them Jesus. Why? Because God hasn't brought you through those battles for you to stay silent. And not just to think on them and remember, God is calling you to use them. God is calling you to take new territory as you continue to look to Him. Continue to think on who He is. As you continue Continue to think on and dwell on who he says you are, what he's called you to do. And as you continue to think and dwell on exactly what he's done in your life and what he's calling you to do with it. I'm going to pray for you in a second, but we're going to do something a little bit different first. And I saw this last Tuesday night. I went home and I guess it was 10.30 or 11. And my babies were already in bed, of course. And my sweet husband tried to stay up. But I saw him dozing, you know, with his phone on his chest. And I laid there and was praying. And the Lord showed me that tonight we are going to anoint our heads Because some of you need a night to mark that your old thinking is over. Some of you need a specific reminder to tell the enemy, nope, I'm not allowed to think that way anymore. Some of you need to be spoken over from the Lord exactly who he is. And some of you need to hear exactly how he sees you. Some of you need to stop and remember what he's done for you and allow him to speak to you in exactly how he wants you to use what he's given you from those battles. So we have a few ladies that are going to come forward. They're going to grab these little vials of oil. Go ahead and come, come, come. And these ladies have this oil because it's a symbol. It's a symbol exactly like how Samuel anointed David. It was a symbol then, and it's a symbol now. And the symbol is of the Holy Spirit. And so they're just gonna put a a tiny bit of oil on their finger, and if you're willing, we're not gonna pressure anybody, but if you're willing, I'm going to have them place the oil on your head as a symbol. As a symbol of you saying, "Holy Spirit, you have reigned now in my thought life. Holy Spirit, I am looking to you to make sure that you, God, are the center of my thinking, the center of what I dwell on, the center. God, of what I'm looking to and for. And they're going to pray over you. And it may be short, it may be long. And maybe you just want to find a place to kneel for a second. After each one has prayed over you, I do want you to do that. Maybe you go sit in your seat and just listen. Maybe you kneel But I want this time for this to marinate. Because the way you guard your heart, your thinking, affects every part of your life. So I'm going to pray for you right now. And then when I say amen, I'm going to call you forward. Go to anybody. It doesn't matter. These are all women of God. They are not perfect. They are not magical. This is not some sort of weird hierarchy. The Lord, Scripture says that we're all a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These are just women that I know I can trust to pray over you. And so I'm going to pray now. And when I say amen, you're going to come forward. And you're going to get anointed. Because our thinking is going to be forever changed tonight. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for every single woman here. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for drawing each woman here. No woman is here on accident. They are here because of your Holy Spirit and your leading and your drawing. Lord, we understand that the way we think affects every part of our lives. Lord, we're done thinking the enemy's thoughts. We are done, in Jesus' name, allowing the enemy to take up residence in our minds. Lord, we ask in your name, Jesus, that tonight would mark a new beginning of Holy Spirit-led thoughts, Lord, that we would continually and purposefully put our eyes on you as you constantly transform us and deliver us into the people that you've called us to be. Lord, we set our eyes on who you are, on what you say about us. And what you've done for us Lord and what you're calling us to do with what you've given us now some of us Lord are in that shepherding season and we need to be reminded of the anointing on our lives some of us are in that back and forth kind of in the palace sometimes kind of in the field and Lord We're getting weary. We need the rejuvenation of what you said about us in our minds. Some of us, Lord, have the loaves and the basket in the boat with us. And we don't even see you standing in front of us. Help us, God, to remember what you've done for us. We give you our lives, we give you our thoughts, we give you our emotions, we give you our wills, we give you our actions, we give you our future, we give you our plans, Lord, we give you every single part. Have your way, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Stand up, come forward. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.